Hello, my name's Tom Boone. And I'm Sumit Singh. Welcome to episode 90 of the Simple Flying Podcast, where we'll give you the lowdown on the latest news from the world of commercial aviation. This week, Joe's away, so I'm joined by our Deputy Content Manager, Summit. Coming up today, Tom will look at which aircraft will be at the Dubai Air Show, while I look at the return of the A380 in Australia. I'll see how British Airways is restoring its most prestigious flight number for just one day only, and Summit will take a look at the world of VIP flights to Antarctica. Finally, Tom will discuss if 2022 will really be the year of the low-cost long-haul carrier. So now you know what's in store, let's get on with the show. And I wanted to start by talking about the Dubai Air Show aircraft, because this is something I'm so excited about. We're going to be heading to Dubai in a, uh, just two or three weeks now um, to see this. And I've noticed, you know, there's all of the sort of usual aircraft that come like the A380 and the A320neo and all this. But there's some aircraft that really stand out this year. So the first one that really caught my attention um, on the Dubai Air Show aircraft list is the Etihad Airbus A350. And I know that um, you were looking into it after we chatted to Tony Douglas before Summit. So um, basically what's happened is that they've said, uh, we don't know that for sure the A350-1000 is coming to Dubai because last year or two years ago, the A380 was on the air show list for Etihad and a 787 showed up instead. But the fact that they've put the A350 on the list kind of has piqued my interest. So hoping that um, Etihad will finally showcase its A350s at the show. And, um, you know, it, it will be exciting if we do see them because these aircraft are now sort of two years old. They were built and then just went straight to storage in France, unfortunately. Um, and... They've finally flown to Abu Dhabi and they are being fitted with their new cabin. So we are watching and waiting. And um, when we spoke to Tony Douglas before, he said that the uh, the words he used were exciting for what um, or int- incredible was the word that he used to describe what he's seen of the cabin so far. So I'm really hoping for a official launch of the A350-1000 in Etihad at the show. And another aircraft that really caught my interest as well is that on the list, Boeing has the 777-9 at the Dubai Air Show. So yeah, yeah, again, it's like, I don't think we can confirm it until the thing shows up at the air show because things are always subject to change. But it's really exciting. And what makes this really exciting is that this will be sort of the first public debut of the 777X because obviously they wanted to show it at Paris in 2019 and then um, the engine troubles meant that it hadn't even taken its first flight by then. And then we thought, well, we see it at Dubai in 2019. And again, um, the aircraft didn't take its first flight until January 2020. So I'm sure that um, Boeing would have loved to have shown it off at Farnborough last year and then Paris this year. But of course, both of these events were cancelled by the pandemic. So it's really the first time since the start of the pandemic that we've been able to get together as an aviation community. And as such, this will, if assuming the 777-9 does make it, um, it'll be the first time that people can really get up close and personal to it because we have seen it do a fly past uh, uh, the Boeing Classic Golf Tournament in late August, but that was high up in the sky. You didn't necessarily see it very up close. And I know that Jay, our colleague, went down to the first flight, which didn't end up happening in the end until a couple of days later. And um, again, he was at the airport where it was taxiing around, but still not the opportunity to get right up close and personal. So 
I'm looking forward to that, and I'm looking forward to seeing these folding wingtips finally in person. Yeah, I, I bet you're dying to see see that, Tom. I know you've been uh, um, eager uh, yeah. uh, to to go in there. And every time, this is unfortunate with the circumstances of the industry, has mm. been quite a few. Uh, pushbacks there but I'm sure uh, I'm hoping for uh, a, a lucky time this time yeah, I'm, well, I am too. And um, I will be flying out on my wonderful A380 with Emirates. Um, and I know you wanted to talk a bit about the A380 today and stealing my thunder. Is that right? Uh, yeah, I know you're usually the A380 guy, but um, <laughs> uh, I managed to uh, cover a bit of that in the last couple of weeks. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's quite uh, uh, an exciting time, actually, really, for, for the A380. And uh, um, we know that the global health crisis has uh, seen that activity considerably go down with the type. Um, even at one point, there were no A-30s flying uh, during the peak of the pandemic. However, uh, there's some good news coming. Uh, Super Jumbo, it, it was down, but it's not out. And the plane is slowly making its way out of storage facilities. And uh, even last week, uh, we saw two additional carriers announce their intentions to redeploy the quadjet. So uh, the two operators are both based in the Asia-Pacific region. Uh, the first of these uh, being Singapore Airlines. Um, they confirmed that the A380 will be found on vaccine traveling flights to, to and from London from the middle of next month. And uh, that's, that's uh, created uh, some buzz in the area, but uh, we know that the black carrier Singapore's uh, A380s, uh, we know that they'll be flying from November the 18th, and they will support British Airways, Qatar Airways, Emirates, and with, with, the, with the four of them together, they will make Heathrow the most diverse A380 hub once again. Um, but it doesn't stop there uh, with, with the type. Uh, uh, one other airline to share details of the redeployment is, uh, is Qantas. Australia's travel industry has been rocked more than most since the pandemic began. But after 18 months of inter international grounding, Qantas is returning overseas for regular scheduled operations in November. And the 8380 will be an eventual feature of this comeback. Earlier this year, Qantas expressed that it plans to reactivate all of its uh, 12 units that were sent to the United States for storage. And it was expected that these planes will be returning from mid-2022. However, Qantas confirmed that the Super Jumper will be back in service in April. So it's, 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 they're bringing it forward a few months and uh, yeah. it's some positive news uh, for the A380 and for Qantas altogether because mm. we know how uh, devastating it has been for, for Australia's uh, industry uh, as a yeah. whole. Uh, so the first of these jets will be back in Australia. They'll be back in Australia by Christmas. Uh, they'll be getting ready for crew uh, refamiliarization, uh, making getting ready for the reintroduction in ahead of of, uh, to, of April 2022. Uh, so altogether, the A380 is seeing a lot of progress recently. Uh, the likes of Qatar Airways made somewhat of a U-turn with the plane, mm -hmm. and uh, the aircraft will be a key feature in uh, all Nippon Airways services as well. And uh, we know that Emirates uh, Unix are seeing a lot of uh, activity uh, with international travel picking up again. Mm. And even though the plane might be a rare sight by the time that the 2030s approach, uh, due to airlines uh, trying to be uh, become more efficient with their, with their yeah. fleet, um, it was still good news that the planes are featuring heavily now because we know that um, plenty of our readers are huge fans of the type. Yeah. And it's <laughs> in disguise again, again for now at least. Yeah, I just think it's incredible because, I mean, a year ago, even I would have thought the A380 didn't have the future that it has now. You know, Qatar was saying it was their worst mistake and mm. they're now bringing it back. I feel like 
I, I feel we could still see more surprise A380 returns on the horizon. But, you know, it's it's great to see that the pandemic hasn't killed the giant of the skies. And um, I also wanted to talk about, um, you know, BA's A380 is coming back on November the 8th. Uh, it's less than two weeks now, um, which is quite exciting. But it seems like November the 8th is going to be a really busy day for British Airways because it's also the day that um, the United States is going to be reopening to um places like Europe if you're fully vaccinated. And, um, you know, BA has been calling for this to happen for well over a year alongside other airlines like Virgin and even the US carriers. So these airlines, this is basically Christmas come early for these airlines, and they are not going to let it happen without a show. So what I find really exciting is that BA is going to be bringing back its most um, prestigious call sign um, just for the day. So the call sign Speedbird 1 or BA1, um, you know, it, it used to be held by Concorde when that was flying from London to New York. And then after Concorde was retired, it ended up on the exclusive business class only A318 services to um, New York. But of course, the pandemic meant that this service was retired and their only A318 uh, was scrapped. But it is coming back for one day only with the new flagship of the BA fleet, and that's the Airbus A350. So on November 8th, the airline is going to operate an A350 as BA1 from Heathrow, departing at 8.30 in the morning and arriving in New York at 11.15. And sadly, it's not going to get the BA2 call sign coming back. It's just going to end up as BA114, leaving New York at 6.55 and arriving in Heathrow at 6.40 the next day. But, you know, I think this is kind of pivotal to the future of the A350 in the BA fleet because, you know, Concorde was always the British Airways flagship and then when that was retired, it became the 747 and now that's been retired as well. And so you have this question, what's going to be the next flagship of BA? And, you know, quite a few people online have been saying it should be the A380, but, you know, what British Airways has been doing is like it really suggests that they're pushing the A350 as their new flagship because earlier this year they launched their new advertising campaign and that was incredibly focused around the 350 and now um, you know they could have used picked a variety of aircraft for the first flight but they've chosen this A350 so um, you know, it was also the first aircraft that the new um, club suite uh, business class was rolled out on. So it, it it really seems like the future of the British Airways fleet, as far as the flagship is concerned, is the 350. And like I said, it's going to be a busy, busy, busy day for British Airways because, you know, they've got the reopening of the US um and on top of that, they're also bringing back the A350, uh, A380. So um, that's going to start entering uh, crew service training on that day um, because, you know, it's essentially a new aircraft for British Airways in terms of um, what the crew are doing because it hasn't flown for them for well over a year and a half. None of or There's a few pilots who are current on it because they're the ones flying them around for maintenance, but the majority of pilots haven't flown it for so long. And, um, you know, even these ferry flights, they don't have crew, so all of the crew aren't familiar with it. So they're essentially treating it as if they're taking a brand new aircraft type into service. So they're just going to operate short haul flights to Madrid and Frankfurt each day for around a month, just so that 
um, everyone can get um, comfortable on the plane. It seems sadly that only the lower deck of the plane is going to be open, but I'm still so excited to see uh, the BAA 380 landing at Frankfurt because yesterday we had yeah. one actually flew over at um, 43,000 feet on its way from Manila's heavy maintenance with Lufthansa Technic back to storage wow. in Madrid. And sadly, it was so cloudy. I just, all I saw was clouds, but uh, <laughs> I will see it in person soon. Yeah, soon. And um, it's interesting what you were saying there about the flagship, the mm-hmm. flagship types, because uh, with, like you said, uh, the, the the relaunch of uh, the, the the closing of the border between yeah. uh, the US and, and Europe, uh, it, it was a massive. Uh, it's detrimental to travel over both regions, but we know how important uh, the the connections are between the two the two mm-hmm. regions. And uh, with uh, London to New York being the most one of the most significant routes in in the world, uh, it's quite it's quite a statement, right? Putting the A three fifty on that on that launch flight. So uh, I yeah. I think you're right there. Why it's, it's a bit of a statement of of them showing that this is what they're going to put their, their faith in, in in the next decade or so. It definitely is, and I mean, you know, this is the route for British Airways. It's as you said, it's like. Um, always been the one that's brought in the most profit across the globe it's been the most profitable route and um you know for years london to new york has been the british airways route so you know fingers crossed looking forward to it and um seeing planes back in the sky <laughs> yeah exactly that regardless of what the what the type is it's just great to see planes uh, back, back yeah in the air. and i mean regardless of British Airways and the US reopening and whatnot, it really does seem that the industry as a whole is on track for a full recovery or at least a decent recovery now. That's it. It's, it's, uh, it's positive uh, notions mm. all around. Yeah. That's it. But while, yeah, while we're talking about uh, wide bodies, uh, uh, they have uh, an interesting uh, topic on that. Uh, I had a chance to interview a, uh, a CEO of White Desert, and uh, the, his name is Patrick Woodhead, and he leads a company that uh, prepares luxury trips to Antarctica. And uh, we might actually be seeing uh, a wide body uh, landing in the in the most uh, uh, the largest desert in, yeah. in, the, in the world, right? So it's quite it's quite a, a unique a, a unique motive that. So I, I spoke with him about this uh, this topic, and he went to he went into all the details in, in quite in depth. And uh, so they is a British tour operator that has been conducting expeditions to Antarctica since 2005, and it's currently the only business to provide commercial private jet service to the continent. And uh, they have a, a runway; it's called the, the Wolfsfang One Runway, and uh, it's it's in the mountains of Queen Maudland in in Antarctica. Okay. And they fly there from Cape Town, uh, South Africa, yeah. and they currently use the the Gulfstream uh, G550. I'd and, love to be uh, on that flight. <laughs> <laughs> imagine that it just being on a G550 by uh, itself is a experience, yeah. but flying over the southern the southern oceans, mm. it, it takes me even further. And um, they chose this jet because of its reliability and the workhorses are able to perform a, a, in great condition, in, in, perform greatly in in, uh, in harsh conditions. Uh, in in areas in cold areas uh, such as Antarctica, and uh, we know how luxurious uh, the, the offerings are of of that of that plane. So the likes of Tom Brady, T- Tiger Woods, Mark Cuban, uh, Michael Jordan, and Elon Musk have all flown on this type of the years. And uh, 
with its tall and wide cabin, it offers plenty of space and flexibility for high-profile travelers. And um, these packages to the Antarctica, they cost uh, tens of thousands. So the tall passengers bearing uh, bearing in mind that they they are going from South Africa across the Southern Ocean, so it's not it's not a it's quite a uh, an experience of that in itself. They will be flying in luxury, but be able to see the views that are that are uh, outside of the uh, the windows because compared to aircraft such as the the Falcon and the and the Express, uh, they have much larger windows, so they can uh, see all the Southern Ocean views heading into the into Antarctica. Yeah, um, I can imagine more, it's just stunning seeing all of that ice underneath the plane. Exactly that. Yeah, that's it, and that, that's something that uh, that Woodhead he he uh, he noted to, to me about that. But he also spoke about the the factors on a more practical level, uh, such as the return range, and uh, with the area always bringing sensitive weather weather challenges, there's always the risk of having to turn back, which can be a um, a risky uh, experience. But with the uh, with the, with the return range of the G550, they, the, the crew are, uh, can easily just return back without having to worry about, about um, any, uh, any, any uh, significant risk on that. Nonetheless, uh, they've, they've completed 85 landings in Antarctica now, so they're, all, they're very well familiarized with the aircraft uh, they experienced uh, with, with such conditions. And for internal flights across Antarctica, the company also deploys a DC-3. And uh, this aircraft is precisely used on adventures to, to the South Pole. Uh, they can also see the Emperor Penguin Colony at Cabay. And the uh, company also uses a Twin Otter. And this, this, this aircraft is part of the fleet, uh, which is no surprise, thanks to its ability to operate well in tough conditions. And noticeably, all these planes that I've mentioned are quite small, smaller sized. Um, but however, this could soon change as the White Desert Company is hoping to deploy a wide body uh, this year, the form of the Airbus A340. Um, with many crucial factors to consider when operating in, in Antarctica, uh, from the handling of supplies to the transportation of visitors, uh, this quadrant could be quite a useful addition to the team. Uh, this is because uh, the, be the behemoth will be able to move cargo and scientists heading to uh, Antarctica uh, to the research stations. So by sharing the aircraft between visitors and scientists, the travel process is handled far more efficiently. And uh, along with this, uh, we know that all Airbus aircraft are certified to fly with up to 50% uh, sustainable aviation fuel blend. Uh, so with this in mind, the White Desert is looking to bring a test quantity of 40,000 litres of sustainable aviation fuels uh, to further reduce the environmental impact. And this, this initiative is part of several carbon neutral measures that are in place across the company uh, since they bring such a rare human presence to Antarctica, it's important that they have an environmental responsibility. So, uh, so it could work quite well to just overall uh, just handle everything quite far more efficiently rather than deploying a series of smaller aircraft uh, with different operations. They, they can uh, handle uh, service across, across the continent in, in, one, in one way. It, I mean, it sounds good, you know, and I guess with the four engines as well, you haven't got the worry of being so far from civilization um, with any issues. Exactly that. That's it. And we know that uh, there are twin, twin, twin jets out there that are certified to handle uh, the church range and that it's not such a worry. But however, we know that there are a lot of uh, readers that are still having the comfort of knowing that there's four engines rather than two, even, even though we, the twin jets are still capable of, of, of handling it. 
It's just that knowing that a wide body trusted aircraft such as the A340 is is uh, handling such a trip uh, across the across the Southern Ocean, and uh, it, the A340 isn't a stranger uh, to flying uh, over over this region. For example, we reported in April 2020 that a high fly uh, A340. Uh, conducted a re repatriation flight from Montevideo to uh, Melbourne over Antarctica. So we know we can rely on the on the powerhouse for these sorts of trips. Hmm. Well, I mean, it's certainly very exciting. And um, I mean, I'm excited to see what comes of it. But sticking on sort of the topic of long haul, you know, we've spoken many times about low cost long haul and is it going to happen or isn't it going to happen? Well, I'm kind of intrigued because... I wonder if 2022 is actually going to be the year that long haul finally takes off in a low cost form. Because, you know, people have tried it. We've seen um, Primera and Wow. They've even Norwegian, you know, it's just not worked out. But they didn't have the pandemic. And, um, you know, as you were saying on uh, the website before uh, Summit, um, the pandemic has really opened a whole range of doors for these carriers. So power by the hour agreements now, you can get them really easily. Whereas before, you know, as a low cost carrier going to um, try and get one of them, you would have had sort of a real tough time saying, this is what we want. Can you give it to us? And as well as that, you know, these the, they don't just have access to the agreements, but they also have them at affordable rates because of, um, you know, supply and demand you know there's a huge supply right now and although demand is coming back it's it's still not where it was so the list lessers want to get rid of the air not get rid of the airplanes but they want to place the airline airplanes because they're not making money when they're sat on the ground and this is what they've sort of come up with and i know when we had our future flying webinar earlier this year uh johnson from who's the ceo of play was saying you know, the whole thing about long haul, low cost is price and you need to offer the best price. And in order to be able to offer the best price, you have to have the lowest cost. And he said, uh, play has the flexibility, especially now at the beginning, because they can control the way they put their supply into the market because they have power by the hour negotiation. So if their plane isn't flying, they're not losing money. And exactly. It is quite interesting because it seems like this it could finally be the year that it does take off. But what I wanted to sort of highlight is that on our Future Flying Forum event that's coming up soon, um, we're going to have a panel called Can Low-Cost Long Haul Really Work? And hosted by Avia Devs uh, Eurotof, it's going to feature uh, Birger Johnson, who's the CEO of Play, and also Bjorn Tor Larsen, who's the CEO of North Atlantic Airways. And they're just going to discuss this. Um, you know, it's free to attend and you can get tickets um, online. Um, if you need to look for the registration, just look on um, futureflying.com or simpleflying.com also has links to it. And you know, I'm really excited for it because I'm hosting a couple of sessions. I think um, you're hosting some stuff as well, aren't you, Summit? Yeah, I'll be I'll be there for sure. Um, discussing uh, uh, some sustainability initiatives, especially about mm. uh, sustainable aviation fuels. So it's been an exciting time for sure. Mm. So we're going to have a wealth of keynote interviews. There's also going to be panel discussions and um, breakout sessions where you too can get involved. And of course, we've got the daily Simple Flying Avgeek quiz. So if you want to take part in that as well, why not register? There's going to it's free to attend, and there's going to be some cool prizes there. So that's 10th and 11th of November, and 
I'm looking forward to that. But I think that's about all we've got time for on today's podcast. Yeah, so we hope you enjoyed it and we welcome any feedback at podcast at simpleflying.com. For more great content, you can visit our website at simpleflying.com or find us on social media. Simply search for Simple Flying. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a rating on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening and goodbye. Goodbye.